0: So we are in um, a Nehemiah series. We're finishing up today. Uh, we, we're kind of doing a little overview of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great book of the Old Testament, and um, we're going to skip a whole bunch of the middle section. But. Here's the gist of it, if you haven't been here the last few weeks. Nehemiah is this guy, he's a Jew, lives in a faraway city because the Jews have been taken into exile. A remnant has returned to the holy city of Jerusalem, which is a special place to the Jews because that's where they meet with God. It's also a special place because God's people are the Jews, and and that city is symbolic of God's um, intent to reconcile with humankind. And it is a part of God's redemptive plan in the grand narrative. And Jesus would uh, would uh, be sentenced to death there and, uh, and die just outside the, the gates and be resurrected. So it's an important city. So Nehemiah wants to come and he wants to rebuild the walls which have been knocked down. The gates have been burned. And he wants to restore it to a place of security for the few that are living there. It is symbolic of God's work um, uh, with his people, and it is to give the Jews hope. And so we find that Nehemiah goes back, he finds opposition. We talked about that last week, and this week I want to talk about after they finished the wall. They finished this rebuilding the city, putting the gates back up in 53 days. Amazing feat. We couldn't even get our permits done by then. And uh and so we find that uh, they get the walls rebuilt, but that Nehemiah has them do several exercises, several things that they do. One is studying scripture. One is dedicating themselves back to God, chapters 8 through 10. Um, we're going to look primarily at 11 and 12 today. Um, but in this, it, there is something that we need to understand, that in uh, the Old Testament, the nation of Israel went through what um, scholars would call cycles of apostasy. In other words, there were times where they were close to God, and there were times where they forgot God. There were times where they knew they needed God. There were times where they thought they didn't need God. And whenever they turned away from God, away from their practice of worshiping God, things did not go well. That's why they were in the situation they were in. That's why the walls have been torn down and the gates have been burned because God said, fine, you don't need me, take care of it yourself. And they couldn't. And they got overrun and the city got destroyed. That's how they got in the situation. So we find Nehemiah at the end of this project, wanting to help them not continue these cycles of apostasy. And so he begins to institute some things that actually had been taught to them much earlier and they had forgotten. And so he puts some things in place. Uh, Here's kind of how we're looking at this passage, not just as historical fact, which it is, but maybe a pattern for how you and I can partner with God to build something that matters in our life. It might be a better character. It might be uh, moving beyond addiction. It might be building a stronger marriage or a stronger family. Any number of things that we believe God might want to partner with us on uh, in order to help us become who He wants us to be. And so I think there are some things in this passage. There are three things primarily I just want to look at. I just want to pull these out of the passage that I think are maybe ingredients or practices that you and I can do that will help us keep moving forward with God. Now, I've heard that there's a point in dieting when you start to have a little success in your diet and then you just kind of backslide because you've gotten comfortable. You know, you may have some success, think you got this wired and you backslide. Now, I've never, never personally gotten that far in a diet, but I've heard that that can happen. It happens to us in life because we have personal cycles of apostasy as well. We think we've got it figured out and we try to do it our own and we fall on our face and then we come back to God and so on. These are things that will help us not cycle through those um, anymore. So let's begin, just to give you some examples, of what I'm talking about. Let's begin with um, this verse in chapter 10, the last verse of chapter 10, 8 through 10, the people dedicated themselves to God. And here's their final commitment in dedicating themselves to God. And it's this, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. So all the things that befell them, they did a lot of stupid things. They intermarried with other people that didn't share their faith. They, um, they, they did other things for, for financial gain. They didn't keep the Sabbath. There are all kinds of things they did that caused them to, that it was obvious that they were turning their back on God. But the most important one is they neglected what the people of God, the Jews are supposed to be about, which was the worship of God and place of worship. That's what, that was kind of their big thing, right? They were the people that knew God and, and they chose not to do that. So Uh, (coughs) Now, this may, this next segment may sound self-serving because I'm a pastor and this is kind of what I do, Um, but I have uh, seen this and I just take it, leave it, whatever. I'm just going to share it with you. We see cycles of apostasy. We see our own struggles personally as staff, but we also see them in our congregation. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen the following scenario. Um, Somebody comes and they've got a crisis in their life and they find Jesus. And God helps them with the crisis. It might be their marriage is falling apart. It might be one of their kids took a really bad turn. It might be a physical situation. Any number of things. And I see them come, and they're here every week, and they go to a small group, and they get prayed for, and things get better. And their marriage gets healed. Their body gets healed. Um, They they overcome the addiction, whatever the thing that brought them here was. And they're doing great, and they're going along for a little. And then I began to notice they're not here quite as often. And then eventually, I realized I haven't seen them in weeks or months. And eventually, I I had this question, whatever happened to that person that I saw? And then inevitably, not in every case, but in more cases that I want to acknowledge, frankly, I hear later, oh, their marriage fell apart, they got a divorce, they're not together anymore. Or they fell off the wagon and they're back doing the thing again that was so destructive. Or whatever it was. And here's what happens. People come, they kind of get the, and they think they've got it wired. Well, you know, our marriage is on track now. We're good. You know, we did the God thing for a while. We needed it then, but we're good now. No, you're not good now. You still need God. I still need God. We all need God. Right? right? That's a part of the deal. And so Nehemiah is trying to short circuit this cycle that God's people went through and that you and I struggle with, frankly. And so he's saying, keep your worship of God at the center of your life. Make it important. So here's what I'm going to say to you. There's something about you being here every week with your spouse, with your family. And it's not because the sermons are fantastic. They are, but that's not the thing. And it's not because the music's incredible, which it is. It's even just the fact that you're sitting in this room together, focusing on God for a few minutes together. And if you come with an open heart and an open mind, God will say something to you and you may have to apologize to your spouse on the way home, right? Or you may get to praise your spouse on the way home or whatever. It's not just marriage. It's your own soul. It's your own character. You'll get affirmed. Some of the stuff we think you should do around here is crazy in, in, in the world standards of wisdom around us, like give money away. Why would you ever do that, right? Right? That's crazy. And yet you come here weekly, commit yourself to God, and things just do better in your life. And and you become who you're supposed to be. And so, like the Jews in the day of Nehemiah, you and I need to be committed to some things. Well, let me give you the three things. The first one is is practice giving yourself to God. Practice giving yourself to God. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 11. I'll just read the first couple of verses. Now the leaders of, of people settled in Jerusalem and, and uh, I'll come back. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem. Now here's what's happening in this in this in this passage. Because not all Jews lived in Jerusalem in that area. Some lived on farms, little towns outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem was still the holy city. In order to become, because building the walls was not the end of the story, becoming the people of God was what was supposed to happen. Build a wall so you can become the people of God and in order for them to be people of God, they needed to be together. So they needed to live together, not all of them, but a significant number of them so they could relearn what it meant to be the people of God. They could practice reading God's Word and praying and worshiping and being the people of God, and they just kind of live in it and grow in it. And so they asked ask one out of every 10, even the ones that live outside the walls, to come and live as a representative for their community, whatever, there to live and grow in faith, in being the people of God, one of the things that happens when we come to faith, I, and, and I, I, I've met people, well, I, I committed my life to Christ back then. And so, well, what have you done since? And Well, I'm nothing, but I'm good. Well, I don't know if you are or not. That might be a theological discussion. Either way, I can't read your heart, so I don't know what you really did back then, but I'm pretty sure you're not doing good right now, right? Christianity is a present continuous tense. In other words, giving yourself to God is not just a one-time thing. There is a starting place, but it is a daily thing. God, I want my life to be yours. It is a daily thing where, God, I want your will. I want your plan. I want your agenda more than I want what I want because yours is always better. And so giving ourselves to God. So I'm, I was trying to think of a, a like a relevant way to, you know, like a, uh, to explain this, something parallel. And so I'm going to say this, but it's going to offend some people. It's going to get some guys in hot water. And I'm pretty good with that. So girls, if you're over 20 and you've been dating the same guy for five or six years and he hasn't put a ring on it yet, dump him. (laughs) Go find yourself a grown-up man. Because girls, no matter what television tells you and the romance novels tell you, you don't just want romance. You know what you want is commitment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My son says, now that I'm a grandpa, I think I can get away with anything. (laughs) I'm kind of proving that today so far. Well, hang on. It's going to get worse. But seriously, you're not, romance is great, but you want somebody who will love you enough to commit to you, right? And by the way, guys, I'm not dogging you. I'm. Most guys don't want to take that next step. But let me tell you, marriage is incredible. It's incredibly hard, but it's incredible. If you look, just look at the data. Men who are married are healthier. They are happier. All the data shows it. It is a wonderful thing. And so if you need a little from the pastor, you just got it. Okay, so... Now, let me make application of this. Do you know what the Bible calls us, the church? The girlfriend of Christ. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's not right. No, it's something else. What is it again? And what's the difference between a girlfriend and a bride? Commitment. Right? 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 You know what the most miserable way, miserable way to try to be a Christian is? Is to be dating God. Well, I'll show up once in a while. I'll check in when I really need something. No, it's about commitment. He calls us the bride of Christ. We're to be committed to a relationship with Christ. That means every day I get up and the first thing I think is I belong to him. Before I belong to me, before I belong to my wife, my kids, I belong. Before I belong to my job, I belong to him. I am his. That is what I have the privilege of saying because of what he did on the cross. He did something amazing for me. In in light of that, in response to that, I am committed to a relationship with Christ. The problem with the Jews is they kept forgetting they were committed to Him. We need to daily recommit ourselves to being His. We need to practice being His. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Let me just read a, a passage, very familiar passage in the New Testament that talks about this exact concept. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, in view of God's mercy, uh, the truth is I don't deserve anything I've got. I don't deserve to be forgiven for what I've done wrong. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve a relationship with God. I don't deserve wife I have, the kids I have, the job I have. I don't deserve any of this. But because of God's mercy and his grace, I have it and I will live my life in light of and response to what God has done in view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you know, That's a lot of words. Let me break it down for you. Because of God's mercy, my body, I'm going to use my body differently. Because of God's mercy, I'm going to think about myself and my world differently. Because of God's mercy, God's will is going to be my highest aspiration, not my urges. That's what it says. That's what that passage basically says. Use your body's living sacrifice. If I belong to God, by the way, I belong also to Connie, God first, then Connie. If I get those backwards, it's understandable if you've met Connie. So, um, She's not even in the room right now, I'm good. Um, And you guys aren't going to tell, right? I belong to Connie. Therefore, it would be reasonable to expect there are certain things I won't do with my body. Right? I first belong to God. Therefore, it is reasonable to expect that because He has revealed there are certain things I shouldn't be doing with my body, whether it's sexual immorality or substance abuse, because my body is a temple given by God. Therefore, there are certain things I want to because of his mercy. He loved me before I loved him. So I love him. I belong to him. There are certain things I want to do with my body. It's a living sacrifice, right? It's always shocking to people when I say, you know, that thing you're doing, it's not really honoring God. Why why do you want to do that? Why, Why do you want to do that? Well, that's just That's just religion and legalism. No, it's a response to God's mercy. It's a response to God's love. And so we practice using our body in a way that honors God. But it's really hard. And so we realize pretty soon is that we can't really do it very well. It's like dieting until about 10 o'clock in the morning and then having ice cream. You had good intentions, right? Then you realize you need to think differently. About your life and about your body. And so it says then, rather than falling into the patterns of the world in which you live, you should have your mind renewed by the reading of God's word and by the Holy Spirit, the renew of your mind. So what are the patterns of the world we live? The pattern of the world we live in says, hey, you ought to live together before you get married. Take it for a trial run. Statistically, that doesn't work out. Biblically, it doesn't work out. Now you need to think differently. Am I going to believe the conventional wisdom of the world in which I live? Or am I going to believe the wisdom that God gave us and has been lived out for hundreds of years successfully? So I need to think differently. I'm going to choose to think this way instead of everybody else's conventional wisdom. Right? And so the renewing of my mind by reading His Word, by allowing His Spirit to speak to me, I am going to think differently about myself and about my world. And therefore, because I think differently, I'm going to do differently right? And then the last part of that says knowing God's will. So if God loves me that much and I have given myself to him because of that, what he's done for me and how much he loves me, then I'm going to behave differently. I'm going to think differently and I'm going to aspire to something more. I'm going to want God's will because I now realize that God always knows best, always has good intentions toward me. Always, it's always interesting to me. So many times that somebody's wanting to have a, a relationship. And they find somebody who doesn't share their faith. And they talk to me about it. And I say, well, what is scripture say? And we look at that and they go, yeah, but I really want. And I just say, do you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody you chose or somebody you and God chose? Because I'm pretty sure that I chose Connie, but I'm pretty sure God was in on that deal. It wasn't just me. And there have been times in our relationship because of my hard-headedness and stubbornness that if it had just been me, I might have been tempted to do something else. But I'm pretty sure it was me and God partnering together on the deal. Remember we're talking about partnering together? Me and God partnering on that deal. I'm in it for good, right? Because I want God's will. So I want God's will. I want to think about the world or myself the way God wants me to think. And then I also want to behave in response to his mercy that's what it looks like to give myself to him on a daily basis. And it is a daily basis. It's, it's daily choices. We are to live Let me give you the diagnostic question for you. Are you different because you call yourself a Christ follower? Here's what it says in first Peter two, nine and 10, but you are a chosen people, a ro- These are people who are Christ followers. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? the way, it's great in the context of thinking about Nehemiah and the Jews who were God's chosen people before Christ, right? Um, in a holy nation, God's special possession. By the way, that, that phrase, God's special possession, in the original King James was you are a peculiar people. <laughs> just, just plain weird, I think, is... Yeah says this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received, here's that word again, mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's the implications. If I have been forgiven for all I've done wrong by Christ, I have been invited him in to shape my character and my the way I think and my, what I aspire to. And if I am going to spend eternity with him, I should be different than I was before. I should even be different from the world around me. Right? And so my question that I kind of toss as a, like a hand grenade into your lap is, are you different Are you different than you used to be? Are you different than those around you that you know and care about but don't believe in Jesus? Are you different? If we are giving ourselves to God on a daily basis, we will be different. We will be different in those three areas. In our behavior. In the way we look at the world and what we aspire to. Right? So, first one is give yourself to God. Practice giving yourself to God daily. That's an important thing Nehemiah was trying to teach the people. The second one is to give him praise. Give him praise. So in, in chapter 12, the last part chapter 12 especially, starting in verse 27, it says, at the, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. That's a big term, celebrate joyfully. It's used many times in this section the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps, and, and, and lyres, or lyres, I think it is. Um, anyway here's the deal. They came together to have a celebration as they dedicated this city back to God, the walls back to God. So here's a really interesting picture. Get the picture with me. They start at one end of the city. They divide into, these are hundreds and hundreds of people, okay? (coughs) They divide into two choirs, scripture calls them choirs, and they start marching and singing. And as they're walking and singing, they go up onto the walls of the city and they march all the way around to the temple where the place of worship is supposed to happen. But all along, they're singing God's praises. This is a powerful picture because remember what happened just 53 days earlier. All of the enemies were saying, you can't rebuild the walls. One of them, as an insult, remember this last week, he said, even if a fox climbs up on the wall, it's going to fall down. Now there are hundreds of them up there. This is important. There's a couple of things they're doing here. They're proclaiming as they praise God, we didn't build this by ourselves. This is a miracle. It was God and us partnering and they're praising God. It's reminding themselves and other people, they didn't do this alone. This is God. I saw a famous Christian leader this week, and he always posts about him and his wife. They have a great marriage, a, ton, a slew of kids. And he said in this post, he said, I just, and he showed him a picture of his wife. they had been married many years. And he said, I need to tell you that everybody sees this and just thinks that, oh, we should have this. You can have this if you work hard and you include God in everything. You see, he was giving praise to God. He didn't build a marriage alone. And so they walked on the walls, they're giving praise to God for those very walls. They're also doing some other things. They're also proclaiming uh, not only God's goodness, they are exercising one of the basic things that we as Christians need to exercise, which is the ability to have gratitude and, and, and express praise. If we can every day find something to be grateful to God for, not just grateful in a general sense, I'm a grateful person... To have gratitude it needs to be directed towards someone, to find something in our lives or many things, better yet, and that's why in our prayer time, we should have a whole section on Thanksgiving. Be grateful to God every day. It'll change your outlook. It'll change the way you are. It'll give God credit so he's free to bless you some more. And so they're giving God credit. They're also doing something else. They're fighting spiritual warfare. They're walking on this wall and they are praising God and they're letting all the enemies know you come against us, you're coming against us and God. Sometimes we need to stand up and praise even when the circumstances look hard or there's opposition. As a part of that, they're claiming, God, this city is yours. We are yours. This city is yours. Our present is yours and the future is yours. Sometimes in worship, if you hear the songs we sing, sometimes they're about who God is. Sometimes they're about what God has done for us. And sometimes we are taking a stand, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm trusting you no matter what. And we do that in worship because worship changes things. If you will give yourself to God daily, you will practice worshiping together on a regular basis. You will find that your spiritual life is growing. And by the way, they worship loudly. Men, women, and children, everybody. And they worship loudly. As a matter of fact, there's a phrase in that account in that chapter, if you read it, it says they worship so loudly they can be heard from afar off. I was in a parking lot the other day at a business, a guy calls me over. Hey Pastor Dora, Pastor. And so I walked over and, and I recognized him. I met him before, but I don't evidently he visited here or attended here years ago. I don't know. And his, his words were, You guys still do that loud music that gives me a headache? <laughs> and I said, Yes, we do, and I think we've turned it up a little bit. So if I were to project onto this guy what he's thinking, he's thinking a certain style that worship should always be meditative and quiet. And there is a place for that, no doubt about it. There is a place for that. But these guys were loud. They were loud because it was joyful celebration. You see, sometimes toge- together we come and we're sad or we're mourning or we need healing and we're, and, and we're reflective and we're meditating. But sometimes we come together because God has been good and we just want to celebrate. You see, I spend all week in quiet, meditative worship. I spend every day in my quiet time, I worship God quietly. But when I come together with you guys, I kind of want (laughs) to party. Ain't no party like a Jesus party. Anyway. (laughs) Because God has been good. I want to celebrate God's goodness. Give yourself to God every day. Worship. And here's the last one. You're going to hate this one. Give. Give. Not just give. Give. It's not because it's my job. It's not because we need money. It's because your heart needs to give. Here is why the the cycles of apostasy happen. Because their heart belonged to God and then their heart got distracted. Right? What does the New Testament say? Where well, your treasure is your Heart will be also, apostasy is just giving your heart to something else. It might be giving your heart to greed. It might be giving your heart to something you think is going to make you happy. It might give your heart to something else. You know what giving does? It makes sure that greed, which is the number one thing that steals our heart. Greed will steal our heart. Make sure that you keep your heart in the right place. It's like a thermostat and a thermometer. If you want your heart to be about God, start giving to God's work. Because your heart will follow where your treasure goes. If you want to check on how you're doing spiritually right now, look at your checkbook or you're giving. Do people still have checkbooks? <laughs> it is it is a thermometer. If you're not giving, your heart's probably not very close to God. Well, uh, don't argue with me. Take it up with him, right? I remember a number of years ago, I've, I've told you this story before. My dad, we first got married, and, and things were not going well, spiritually and financially and everything. It was just not really going well. So I called my dad up and I said, Dad, and I just kind of want to have a pity party. You know, I need a dad to just listen and feel sorry and, and agree that those people were jerks. And, uh, and you have met my dad, some of you. And I call him. And you know what his first question was? He kind of heard me out for a little bit. And then he goes, son, are you tithing? What do you mean, Dad? I don't make any money. I make $16,000 a year. I have a $100,000 home. What do you mean am I tithing? And we got to eat? No, son, are you tithing? I said, Dad, did you not hear what I said about those people? Yeah, yeah, I heard you. Are you tithing? I said, Dad, do you not understand that I'm being mistreated here? Yeah, are you tithing? I said, why are you asking? He says, because if you're not tithing, nothing else is going to go right because your heart's not in the right place. I never called my dad again. (laughs) You know, that's not true. It is so weird That at the end of this project, to try to help the people, keep them from cycling back into apostasy, he included giving. But Jesus bore that out. Because there's so many things that vie for your heart. And money seems to be one of the top three, in my opinion. Money, sex, power. The money is the easy one to deal with. Just be generous. Just give. And we'll work on the other two. Isn't it great that God loves us enough to give us instructions so we don't have to be on a spiritual roller coaster every day? He gives us the instructions, and he gives us Nehemiah to show us how to do it. I love that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. You are good. Not just good to us. Your actions indeed are good to us, but you are in your character at the core of who you are. God, you are good. We are so thankful that you are good because your character of goodness shows itself in mercy and grace and love toward us. Lord, let us live every day in light of that. Lord, let us not live under duty, under legalism. Let us live under the freedom of being deeply, greatly, extravagantly loved and receive your direction and your guidance and live a life that counts, that matters, that's joyful and celebratory. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.